Tonight we'll be in Psalm 46, Psalm chapter 46. Okay, so Psalm 46, we're looking at stillness. Um, we're actually looking at stillness in the city of God. That's the place that we're going to go to. We're going to try to live there in the city of God. It's to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the, the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God, I pray that you open our ear to know your voice. I pray that your voice would be heard and not your echo. That we would know what you're up to. And that we would know where you're calling us. So I pray that through this psalm, we would accept your invitation to come and behold your works and to come to the city of God where the rivers of gladness flow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. To feel is part of being human. So, feelings are not sinful. It's a matter of what we do with feelings. So to feel something like anxiety is part of being human. But to deal with anxiety is the art of being Christian. One more step, to heal anxiety is the heart of being Jesus. So we have three components working here. You've got feelings on a human level. And that's part of being human. Then you've got feelings that can be dealt with on the Christian level. God has told us how to deal with them and where their place is. And then on the third level, we've got helping other people with their emotions. And that is the Jesus level. And that's something that he can do through us. So, okay, we're going to feel things like anxiety. That's okay. It's, that's, you're, if you're human, you're going you're gonna to feel those things. It's part of being human. But you're also going to learn how to deal with them. And that's part of following Jesus. And then we can learn how to heal. And that is part of being Jesus. Now, in Psalm 46, there are three parts I want to show us real quickly. We've got verses 2 through 3. 
uh, here you have this dramatic scene. It's almost like an earthquake, but it's much bigger than an earthquake because things are going crazy. You see that we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Though all that stuff is happening, we will not fear. What is all this stuff that's being described? It's describing basically this cataclysmic picture. Think of your world falling apart all around you. And how does, you, how, how, how does your human emotion want to respond to something like that? Fear, panic, anxiety, all these horrible feelings. So that's, that's what anxiety I see feels like. It feels like your world is like, you don't even know. I, uh, my mountain might be thrown into the sea tomorrow. I don't even know how to control myself. Uh, that's, it's describing these feelings of like panic and anxiety. Um, verses 1 and 4 through 7. So first of all, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Insert anxiety or things like that. Uh, verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And then it says that he's in the midst of her, verse 5, she shall not be moved. I want to point out two things there real quick. Verse 4, there's a river in the city of God. What was happening in the scene of anxiety? You have oceans that are roaring and foaming and swelling and they're raging and they're angry. But in the city of God, you have this river with streams. It's a much calmer picture. And then it says that the mountains might be moved into the heart of the sea. But in verse 5, we see that God is in the midst of this city and it will not be moved. You see the contrasts that are being set up. There's something that's being shown here. And then uh, verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Uh, that is showing that in this city, God's in control. So in verses 2 and 3, you have this picture of anxiety. Everything's falling apart. Here in the city, you have a picture of God's city. And things are not falling apart. There's, he's got things ordered and controlled and things are safe. And things are the way they're supposed to be. Now in verse 10, we find out how to get to the city. The psalmist, you see in verse 8, invites us. He says, come. And then in verse 10, this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to be still. And know that he is God. And that he's over everything like the earth and the nations. So, you have on one hand this horrible picture of anxiety. On the other hand, this beautiful picture of God's city. And then you have, be still, inviting us into the city. That's how you get there. From here, mountains falling, world crumbling, and chaos. To be still and enter into the city. That, that's, the, that's the makeup we have here with this psalm. So... Uh, we're going to now go through this a little bit um, because we're talking about the stillness and the psalmist tells us to be still. So what exactly does it mean to be still? Well, if you have the New American Standard Bible, which I don't think any of you particular people do, but a lot of people do. The New American Standard translates be still as this, uh, cease striving. So to be still has this implication of you're going to stop doing something and particularly the NASB, NASB says stop striving um, the message says step out of the traffic 
That's what be still means to Eugene Peterson in the message. Step out of the traffic. Uh, the traffic is a very soft word for talking about verses 2 and 3. You know, seas coming and the mountains being thrown into the heart of the seas. It's like, step out of that. Like, yes, sir, <laughs> definitely will. Um, in one particular translation by a guy named Robert Alter, he translates be still as let go. Because part of the Hebrew word deals with letting go of something that you have your hand firmly grasped on. So hopefully I, I think all that might give you an idea of what is being still calling us into. It's not just literally this like, what are you doing, Nick? I'm being still. <laughs> like that's not what he's calling us to do. There's something happening. It's a, it's a, it's a ceasing and it's a releasing of things. So feeling anxiety is part of being human. The tyranny of the busy. That is our number one enemy to stillness. The tyranny of the busy. It's this thing that comes into all of our lives and it kind of tells us how things are and how to behave and how to be and what to respond to. And it comes in and makes us slaves. It enslaves us. In fact, I've heard one person put it this way. That busy, B-U-S-Y, stands for being under Satan's yoke. Busyness is this system that sucks us in and enslaves us. And what it does is it demotes you from a human being to a human doing. Because in the tyranny of the busy, you are constantly finding yourself a slave to reacting to the next deadline and task. When I'm busy, I am a series of reactions and I am therefore finding myself defined by what I do rather than who I am or what I be. <laughs> That's the tyranny of the busy. So the busy teaches us to look for what is urgent. And you're always reacting to what's urgent. Urgency here, urgency there. So I'm here, now I'm there. And then like the next deadline, I've got to keep moving, keep, keep playing it quick. And then all of that urgency, when we fall into this trap, that is where often anxiety comes from. It's this constant feeling of, I may not make the next deadline. I may not finish the next task. I might let somebody down and constantly like beside yourself about what is urgent right now. Sleep. Yeah, but my teacher will be mad if I don't do my paper. There's this constant battle of what am I to respond to? And that can produce anxiety because you constantly feel like you're not good enough and you're letting people or things down and that the world's going to stop if you can't keep on it. Or worse, your world is going to crash into that heart of the sea, like in verses 2 and 3. So that's the feeling. And that can overwhelm us and take over us. So what I want to say is that you and I must be intentional about seeking God. Because if I'm not intentional in seeking Him, I'm going to constantly find myself reacting to what's urgent. To busyness. Why? Because those things have deadlines. 
God never puts a deadline on us. So I'm going to just keep putting that off until I'm not busy anymore. That's never going to happen. So we need to become people who are intentional. Not just, oh, if I wake up on time, or oh, if I'm done my homework before bedtime, I will seek God. Oh, when I'm at church and if the music's okay, or if JC's teaching instead of Brandon. That's not intentional. We need to choose to spend time with God. And the realm of choosing is stillness. Now, this is a scary word for us in our society. Stillness? What is that? So let's move in to how we deal with things like anxiety. How, how do we deal with these emotions? And stillness is the answer. This is how we deal with it. What is stillness? Stillness is a place. Not a physical, but a a place, a metaphorical place of action. It's a place of prinking. What's prinking? Prinking, Francis Chan made this up. I'll give him credit. Prinking is prayer plus thinking. That's where stillness exists. So when I'm combining the practices of praying to God and thinking about God and his word, that's prinking. So prinking comes when I find a place of solitude, away from people and things, a place of silence where there isn't a whole lot of chaos and distraction, where I can actually be here and, and, and prink and pray and think scripturally and spiritually and about God. And, and you take that time to uh, have meditation and reflection. And, and it's not just a, a race through my devotions. Like, whoo, I read a chapter of the Bible, kept the devil away. Uh, it's pausing and, and prinking upon these passages. And it's, what does it mean that Jesus walked on water while the disciples were tediously rowing against the wind? What does it mean that Jesus gave the loaves of bread to the disciples to give to the crowds when he fed the 5,000 what does it mean when the Bible tells me to pray without ceasing? And it's stopping and it's prinking. That stillness. It's, it's important for three reasons, maybe many, but I'm thinking of three reasons primarily. Stillness is a place where we can clear our minds to hear from God. So we clear to hear. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying empty our minds. That would be very weird. It'd be like Eastern meditation, Buddhist practices. Uh, we're clearing our minds. Uh, for example, you have a windshield, right? And it's spattered with bugs as you drive out to Arizona. Some big, juicy ones, and there's guts all over. And you got bird poop. And I don't know, right now, we probably all have like all that dirt and grime from the rain, like the little tiny rains that are dropping just enough to make everything dirty. And uh, it, windshields get dirty. Uh, to clear a windshield is simply to remove that filth so you can see clearly. Now, we're not talking about emptying the windshield. That's taking it out and throwing it away. <laughs> That's not what we mean when we say clear in stillness. We clear the mind to hear God. We're talking about making things clearer, not removing the mind and removing our intelligence and removing who we are. We're just clearing things out. So you got like deadlines, you got busyness, you got people that are angry, you got people to please, and you got a job or you got homework. Or, there's all these things, and it's just. Whew, 
Put it aside for a minute. Clear the way. Clear the windshield so that you can hear. Because if we don't do that, then the only sound from God you'll ever hear is the echo. Do you know what I mean by the echo? The echo isn't the voice itself. It's that... How do you say echo without saying echo again? It's that... that, re- that repetition, that reverberation of the voice. And sometimes I think we're going through life under the tyranny of the busy, under the tyranny of the urgent, and stress with anxiety, and we try to move on in life by hearing echoes from God. And your echo might be JC. It might be a devotional book where some smart dude wrote a quick little like smart thing about the Bible, like, ooh, that was really good. Or you're just going through your day hoping that like, you think about God somewhere. And it's just these vague, shallow, like, what the heck thoughts and things you're getting. That is an echo. But to hear the voice itself of God, it only comes in stillness. Like Elijah. Some of you might remember the story where he defeats the prophets of Baal. And the king wants to kill him because he messed with his prophets. And, and he's, he's fleeing for his life. And he's out in the wilderness all alone. And he's just beside himself depressed. And the earth shakes dramatically. And it says that he didn't hear God. The fire blazed ferociously. He didn't hear from God. The wind poured through down the mountains and ripped rocks away ferociously. He didn't hear from God. And then at the very end of this passage it says, And then he heard a quiet voice. And he heard God say, Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you being a coward? Don't you know I'm with you? And the whole point of that passage is to show sometimes we need stillness. Not to hear echoes anymore, but to start to hear the voice itself. Some of us may not even know what that sounds like. I think it's time that we receive the invitation into stillness. So stillness helps us deal with things like anxiety because we clear to hear God. Uh, secondly, it makes us human beings rather than human doings. This is huge. You are, by definition, a human being. I've never talked about humanity as a human doing. Look at that human doing. Isn't it cool? You talk about human beings. <laughs> There's man, there's woman, long hair, short hair, black hair, blonde hair, weird looking, pretty looking, you know, um, human being. It talks about an essence of who you are. And in stillness, we get to that point where we remind ourselves, I am no longer defined by what I do. I'm defined by who I am. That my character is more important than my achievements. And I sit there, and I between me and God, I begin to understand who he's made me to be. And my doing is then an outflow of my being. Not my being, an outflow of my doing. And that's the chaos that leads to anxiety, is when we constantly feel like, I am what I do. My being is defined by my doing. And God never meant it to be that way. He wants you to be a human being. And out of that, knowing who you are, let your works follow through and in stillness we find out who we are 
third, stillness, is a time to let go and know. Like verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Let go and know. Let go of the anxiety. Let go of the demands and know that God is calling you to particular purposes that maybe man isn't calling you to. And so it's in the stillness that we clear our minds to hear the voice of God. We understand we're human beings, not human doings. And we let go and we know that God is here and that he speaks. And it's through these that we enter into this beautiful city where the rivers, it says. There's a river whose streams make glad the city. The whole city is glad. There's rivers. And stillness is that place where we come and we sit by these rivers and we listen and we prink. <laughs> so that's how we deal with our anxieties. But now it goes one more step, right? To feel anxiety is part of being human. To deal with anxiety is the art of being Christian. To heal anxiety is the heart of being Jesus. So how do we heal anxiety? What does this look like? Anxiety can be healed uh, because anxiety is contagious. You're in a family where you see the parents reacting to a crisis, you get very anxious. Like when they panic, you want to panic. When they see everything as a threat and everything's negative, you see everything as a threat and everything is negative. When you have a teacher in the classroom that makes every paper feel like doomsday, you feel like it's doomsday. Anxiety is a negative disease that spreads quickly. But so is stillness as a positive remedy that spreads just as quickly. If you ever notice people that are calm and together, it's like you suddenly like, I want to be like that. I want this to rub off on me. So as we, here's the lesson, as we learn to sit in stillness, we experience healing from our own anxieties. And we, and we begin to discover, you know, I'm a human being and I hear God's voice and I know I'm being still. In that we are healed. And as I am healed, others around me will be healed. I say this because it's an important order. It's an important priority. I must be healed before I heal other people. Some of us like to go around life and we're all like skedaddled and we're never in stillness and we see you're anxious. You're, you're crazy. You're beside yourself. You need help. And we want to make it our life mission to busy ourselves about helping people. And that's a very good goal, right? And so we, we, we think that we're doing a good thing for people. So we go and we exhaust ourselves trying to help people. And they're never helped because you're exhausted yourself and you're pouring that into them. It's so important that if we want to heal people, we must be healed ourselves. If I want people to hear from God, I must hear from God first. If I want to know what it's like to be calm and still, I mean, if I want you to know what it's like to be calm and still, I must be calm and still myself. If I want you to be encouraged I must be encouraged. Discouraged people don't encourage people. They discourage people with them. There's this important pattern. And I realized this, guys, as I was, uh, what was this, two or three weeks ago? 
We went to, Brittany and I went to Montana. You might remember I was gone. You might not have noticed. That's cool, too. <laughs> we were in Montana for the whole week for this, the sole purpose of stillness. Because I realized that there's something in my life that's not happening. And it was stillness. And I needed stillness. And I was, I was totally the one that was under the tyranny of the busy. I was reacting to everything that's urgent. And I was going crazy. And I didn't even... I didn't, couldn't even distinguish what was an echo and what was a voice anymore. And it was just like, what is going on? So we fled to Montana and said, bye, everyone. <laughs> uh, and fortunately, cell phones didn't even work where we went. It was awesome. And we just sat in the middle of, like, what was it, 20 acres or something they owned? 20 acres of undeveloped land. We had a building, of course. But beyond that, it was all undeveloped. And there's a lake. And we just had no agenda. We were in no hurry. We just said, let us live a week in stillness. And it was amazing. It was amazing the healing that happened in here. And I began to realize as I would just spend every day either sitting in a canoe on the lake, watching nature, reading the Psalms, or on a rock underneath a tree in the shade, watching the animals and critters around me. It was amazing that as I was immersed in that, God's ecosystem, God's creation, I began to notice things in creation I never did notice. Things that I felt were speaking to me. Basically, things like, and I'm not. I'm no like biologist uh, or econ, what is, I don't know. Like ecology, you know, an ecosystem. What am I trying to say? Uh, the way nature interacts with each other, and there's a delicate balance. Like I'm no like. I don't know a whole lot about that. I just know what I was observing. So ignore my shallowness in this part. But uh, as I sat there, I began to realize. You know, you're watching animals, um, and you're like, these animals are not living for any other demand than that they need to eat and make a shelter for themselves and reproduce. And that's basically what animals do. That's what creation does. The trees, as I was just looking at them, it seems like they just do nothing all day. But actually they're doing something. They're they're there rooted and the whole time they're soaking in sun so that you know it turns it into energy or something, and then they're growing and they're sprouting up, and then eventually they drop their seeds and other trees grow. And, and but basically I realized that the tree was never busy trying to ask the beaver what he's doing or interfering with the gossip between the mooses or the meese, whatever they are. Uh, <laughs> like the trees weren't doing that. The tree, as I looked at it, no matter how long I looked at it, it was concerned solely with how he's growing and, and I was sitting there going creation is so self-centered and the eagles just flying around and it kept, we watched this bald eagle uh, literally 20 feet from our boat snatch a fish out of the water and go up in the tree like I know bald eagles are rare sometimes you see them from a distance but we literally saw him like from here to the wall just sitting in a tree eating this fish and it was like oh my gosh it's a bald eagle and the mama eagle comes and soars 10 feet over our heads right over the canoe. And we're like, oh, I thought he was going to take my head off. That was so cool. And um, we watched the, the, the male eagle just kept eating the fish. And the female eagle, he never gave her any. And, the, you know, the eagle was just constantly concerned, flying around. All he's doing all day, flying around, looking for food, looking for food, found food, eating food looking for more food. And if you happen to have babies, the mama eagle's basically like, you know, getting food for the babies and feeding the babies and watching them, keeping them. Like, that's all they're doing. Uh, you go down the list, you know, the deer, self-preservation, eating grass. 
human run, <laughs> self-preservation, eating grass, human run. There's like same patterns all the time. Um, but what I began to realize was in this, quote, selfishness of creation, it was actually preserving the whole system. I mean, an example, you know, the grass selfishly just growing. That's all it does. It doesn't do anything else but just grow. But if the grass decided to stop growing, then the deer have nothing to eat. If the deer have nothing to eat because of the selfish grass, the deer die. And if the deer die, then the wolves and the bears and the mountain lions and the other predators have nothing to eat. And if they have nothing to eat, well, everybody else is happy. But then man has nothing to hunt and no skins to make. And I don't know. But see, like this whole ecology thing, if the trees stop growing, then there's no more oxygen in the air and everything dies. <laughs> or... There's no uh, stuff for squirrels to live in and bees and bugs to do their thing like they're always doing. I don't even know what they're doing. They're just always doing all this stuff. All of this, quote, selfishness I, I began to learn was actually not selfish at all. Nature was concerned with its own health for the sake of the entire system. And people might put pressure on you to constantly live for others, constantly live for others. Important, indeed, if you first understand how to take care of your own soul then out of the overflow i can help others but if i just live constantly helping 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 others you're actually going to help nobody as you're a miserable wretch and don't even know god's voice anymore and where are you taking others then you're taking them down your same path stillness is where it all begins and then we reach out and we can begin to heal if you still don't believe me, because I use an example from nature, let's go to the scriptures. Mark chapter 1. Now, you don't have to sit there, you can listen if you'd rather, but I'm going to Mark chapter 1. In Mark 1, we see Jesus. Um, what's happening is he spent the entire evening healing people, it said. He's at Peter's house, and they all came to Peter's house, flocking in and, you know, cast out this demon, heal this disease, let this blind man see. For all night, we don't know how long that is, but late into the night, he's doing that. And then the very next day, we see this in Mark 1, verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Stillness, right? And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus, there are urgent demands waiting upon you. There are deadlines. People need you. You're disappointing people. Blah, 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 blah. You all heard it in your life. And Jesus said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, not the one where everyone's looking for me, but to other towns, uh, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What do we see? We see this pattern in Jesus' life. Is that as the day begins, he seeks stillness where he can hear from his father so that he can then at night heal people. That's Jesus' own pattern. The son of God decided, I'm not just here to heal, I'm here to hear so that I can heal Now, I think that there's a case here for stillness, but some of us still have excuses. I mean, what are the excuses we've been running for so long? Why do we avoid stillness? Why is it something that someone's like, whoa, didn't you think about this before? For others of us, like, yeah, I do need to get back to that. 
Right? Why is that the case? Why do we avoid it? I think that there are four quick reasons why we would avoid stillness. And the first is this. It's probably, probably the deepest level. Um, is that we are running to avoid reality. We're running to avoid reality. We don't want stillness because the minute I stop and there's silence and I have to actually think and I pray, suddenly reality catches up to us. We live in this mentality that we convince ourselves that if I keep working and I keep meeting deadlines and I keep being busy, I won't have to think about my anxiety. And so we try to just keep ignoring it, distracting ourselves from it, keep on moving, and think if I just keep moving fast enough, it won't catch up to me at all. But you're actually confounding the problem. We need stillness, and yes, it'll catch up to you, but guess what? You'll also learn how to deal with it and be healed from it. So we avoid it because we are trying to outrun reality. That's stupid. You can't do it. It will catch up with you eventually. Might as well deal with it every day in stillness. Second reason we avoid. We value deadlines I don't know why, but we do. We value... If you've got five options here, four of them have deadlines and one of them doesn't, you're like, got to get the deadlines done first. And if there's time, I'll do this extra. Well, as I said before, God doesn't put deadlines on us. So generally what we tend to do is say, okay, I'll deal with the deadlines. Oh, no time for God. Moving on. We value deadlines too much. I have to wonder why. Maybe because we think that we're more important every time we complete a deadline. I don't know. Number three, we avoid stillness because of unbelief. Look at verse four again. Well, you're probably in Mark. Uh, Verse four talks about the rivers that make the city of God glad. Do you believe that God can be desired? I know that when I avoid stillness, one of the core reasons is that I stop believing that God can and should be desired. When I avoid stillness, I'm usually still in my Bible. I'm doing prayers here and there. But it's more of like a, I'm supposed to, or I should, or I guess it's somewhat good for me. But in these processes, I don't find myself actually desiring God. I, don't, I seem to forget and to stop believing that God promises abundant joys and pleasures for those who seek Him. But the Psalms are full of expressions of, I was glad when they said, let me go to the house of the Lord. I will come to God, my increasing joy. All these passages at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. And, and, and with me is joy foreverlasting. Do I believe that? That when I'm with God, I'm the happiest my being has ever been. If I believed it, I would not avoid stillness. I would pursue it. I feel that I stopped believing that God is to be desired. And therefore, stillness is not to be desired. Fourth reason we avoid stillness is time. We tell ourselves we don't have time. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm too busy to stop and just be still. Like, what is that even getting done? I would argue, actually, that you're too busy not to be still. One more passage in Mark. Mark 6. And we're going to close here. 
We are too busy not to be still. Mark 6. So the disciples and Jesus had just fed thousands of people, 5,000. And they are now moving on to their next goal, their next destination. And here's the story. Mark 6, verse 45. Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him. Go to the next destination. So they get in the boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. And they're paddling, sailing, whatever they're doing, to their next destination. Jesus, meanwhile, stays behind. And it says that he went up onto a mountain to pray. So here are the disciples with this nice head start to the next goal. Here's Jesus in his stillness praying. Now, we read... uh, In verse 47, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they, the disciples on the boat, were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. They're striving and striving, and they're hardly making progress. And about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. (laughs) And he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they, were, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. That's the previous story. But their hearts were hardened. I, I, I almost find this humorous. All night the disciples are working hard to get this boat to the other side of the lake. And then all of a sudden, the one who is doing nothing but being in prayer comes charging by them and it says he meant to pass them. He is making so much progress while these people working all night are barely moving. And he's like, oh, hey guys, I thought you would have been there by now. Uh, let me get on board. And then the stillness happens. In their boat. The disciples in the boat is us. When we try to keep being busy. And we don't deal with anxiety. And we let it conquer us. And we think. But I just got to get that done first. We're striving, striving, striving. And it says that the wind was against them. Meanwhile Jesus. Who took the time and stillness and prayer then picks up his journey way after the disciples and actually makes better progress than they do. What's the lesson? Stillness is better than striving. We actually can get more done if we were people of stillness than if we were people of just press on and strive and get that next job done. So... Do we have time? I would argue that maybe we're too busy not to be in stillness. We need more energy. We need more health. We need more God working with us, not the winds working against us. So with the psalmist, can I invite you guys to with me be intentional about our seeking God? That we would seek stillness and that we would frequently visit the city of God where the rivers flow and the streams make the city glad let us be frequently there and as a result of that accomplish those other things that people think we need to do
God, I pray that you'd make us people of stillness. Teach us how to hear your voice, how to clear our minds, how to prink, how to cherish and desire you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.